This is Impact Healthcare, people and strategies that are disrupting the health benefits industry. And now, here's your host, healthcare benefits industry expert and the originator of the transparent health benefits movement, Lester Morales. Hey, everybody, man, I am excited for this one today. There's not too many people that I think might get more excited about talking about what he terms the revolution than I, but Nelson Griswold, please say hello to the Impact Healthcare crowd and tell them a little bit about Nelson Griswold and the Next Gen Benefits Network. Lester, I can't tell you how excited I am. First of all, that you've got your new podcast and are making an even bigger impact on the industry. As you know, uh, I'm here because our mission, our vision, is the highest quality health care, accessible and affordable for all Americans. Now, I used to be in public policy. I used to run some public policy think tanks. Uh, I no longer do that, so I can't really have a whole lot of impact on health care for all Americans, but we are doing it employee by employee, business by business, and and generating that promise for them of the highest quality health care that's accessible and affordable. Um, you know, I, I came out of the insurance industry like you did and realized the status quo works extremely well for certain stakeholders. The insurance companies in particular, the PBMs, uh, the big brokerage houses, they're all in a, it's been called a cartel, and it works really well for them, but it doesn't work so well for the employers, certainly doesn't work very well for the employees. And I think that's what galvanizes you and me uh, to be as passionate about this as we are. You mentioned a revolution. We're leading uh, it's a benefits revolution. It's a healthcare revolution. It's a next gen revolution where we're simply rearranging and realigning the incentives in the system. And you do that and people start to act like they should act. They act uh, in a way that benefits everybody. They win. The employers win. The employees win. So this revolution, it's an interesting confluence, I think is maybe the the right word, uh, intersection of my past in public policy and my distant past in public policy and my more recent past in employee benefits, because we are really changing the delivery system, the financing of healthcare. Uh, And, you know, when you start playing around with those foundational pieces of of a very complex system, it gets to be, well, it gets to be kind of fun. I agree. And I think it's one of those things from a fun, depending on who the audience is, right? Um, but here's a question for you. And then this was off the topic. It just came to my head. Being that you've been in public policy, so you've been sitting with the people that are making the decisions at the highest level, what's maybe one thing that people who might be listening to this podcast would be awfully surprised either for the good or the bad about the decisions that are being made about healthcare and either how much knowledge or little knowledge might be in that room making decisions for the rest of us. I don't know why I just thought about that, but it just hit me in the head that that would be an interesting question for somebody with your background. It's a great question. It's a great point because, and it's interesting. I was just listening today to the uh, Ben Connor, Connor Insurance and Mike Hill, Total Control Health Plans, who are both in our mastermind group. Uh, these are benefit advisors uh, out of Michigan and Indiana. They put on a regional next-gen healthcare summit today, and one of their guests, they had a remarkable lineup. You you spoke there last year, the year before. Last year, last year I spoke there, the inaugural summit the, the year before. This year, they had among their speakers, the uh, I believe the junior senator, uh, Mike Braun, I think is his name, from, from Indiana, United States Senator. And it's the first time I've heard a politician really speaking sense about health care because he's a businessman. And he's had to deal with health care for his own employees. 
Here's one thing that really, it didn't shock me, but it was an interesting, it was an interesting tell, right? Like in poker, right? You, you people all have a, a tell. If you can figure out what they do when they get a really good hand, you can read them. You know they have a really good hand. They're given that tell. Uh, a, a friend of mine who uh, was a very prominent business leader in Wisconsin uh, was talking to his congressman who happened to be at the time the Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives. And my friend has written a book called The Company That Solved Healthcare. Well, he didn't solve healthcare, but he, he had some really interesting uh, observations. And you may know you may know the book. He said to to the speaker, you guys have got to do something in Washington about the cost of health care. It's not an insurance problem. It's a health care problem. And the speaker of the House, a Republican, leaned in and said, Congress will never address the cost of health care. Why? Because the hospital lobby, the insurance lobby, the doctor's lobby, and the big pharma lobby are huge. Combined, I believe they are the biggest lobby in Washington. And so politicians know which side their bread is buttered on. Not only do they need the donations to get reelected, they do not need those powerful interests funding an opponent in the primary in the general election. So it's it's a it's just a reality. The other thing that that I'll have to say is extremely common in politics is they don't understand economics. They don't understand that if you want more of something, you subsidize. If you want less of something, you tax it. And they don't understand that when you tell the insurance companies you've got to insure everybody regardless of of pre-existing conditions it's not insurance anymore right it's prepaying people's health care and so it's taken it's a, you you have a degree in insurance so you understand insurance is insurance is agreeing to to take care of a problem that might happen but you insure somebody who's on an end stage renal uh, care or, or who has cancer. That's not a well, if it might happen, it's a it's already happening. So it, they don't understand economics. And so they don't understand issues like incentives. What incentivizes people? And let me say real quick for, for everybody who's listening. I'm not saying the insurance companies and the insurance executives are bad people. They are not bad people. They just have bad incentives. And, and like anyone, they respond to the incentives they're given. Hospitals have been given bad incentives. Doctors, bad incentives. When a doctor gets paid more to do more, to give more services, to provide more treatments, instead of being incentivized to keep their patient healthy, that's a bad incentive. So go back to what I said earlier. We're, we're simply realigning those incentives. Uh, and and when you do that, Lester, you see it yourself almost every day. When you realign those incentives, people go, oh, darn, my incentives have changed. My behavior now changes. Right. If, if I were if I were paid. Well, here's a great example. The my wife works retail. It's a part time job loves the people, loves the social aspect of, of this workplace. So she gets laid off when COVID happened and retail was closed. Well, she's getting her un- unemployment insurance from the state, which is poultry. And then the federal government comes along, and gives her another $300 a week. She was upset when she had to go back to work. <laughs> And a lot of people will not go back to work. Why should I go back to work to make less money than I'm making sitting on my rear at home? Right? It's an incentive. It's an incentive issue. It's always an incentive issue. So anyway, that's that's a little bit of the background, I think, 
the, the key thing to understand is there is a complex system that doesn't work for the people who need it. The employees and the employers who spend the money to take care of their employees, to make sure that they have health care and to make sure that they stay productive and, and happy uh, and on the job and in the job and don't leave. But when you're sick and you can't afford to get your health care because you have a $3,000 deductible and you have 4000 in the bank, you aren't going to go pay it until it's a 911 situation. So that's what we're up against. And, uh, you know, it is a revolution. And you asked me you know, off off uh, air to, to talk about that. So later we'll talk about that revolution because I think it really truly is a revolution. Well, and, 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 and so let's, let, let's unpack a couple of the things because, you know, in day one of risk management and insurance school, they say insurance is to protect the unknown, right? And so uh, it's, it's a lot of the examples that you had mentioned, it, 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 it becomes a personal thing. Like people think with their hearts uh, and, and what they feel as opposed to, you would never ask State Farm to cover your house when it's already on fire. That would be ludicrous. And and so, you know, I, I, I 100% agree. And the stat that I've always been told is that the health insurance arena has double the lobbying dollars than the oil and defense combined. Just to throw the numbers out there, oil and defense 2x combined uh, and I just find that um, amazing uh, when you start thinking of the the reality of it. Is, is the government going to fix it? So if we if we agree on this, the government's not going to fix it. We're in a scenario that, to your point, which I love saying it is the is the industry broken? No, it's working exactly the way it was designed. It's just designed incorrectly. For the employers that are out there, um, give me what the mission of the revolution is, but not so much the mission of the revolution. Give me what are a couple things that somebody can digest and learn from this that are the fixes to healthcare. That's a fulsome question. So I have to I have to absorb the totality of that question. I'll give you a, I'll give you a second, which I, I love having a very educated man on my thing. The fulsome of question. I don't even know what that word means. So I'll be looking that up when you uh, think about your uh, your definition here. But give me even the even the incentives, Nelson. You you mentioned incentives. Let's start there. What do you mean by incentives? How like I've never thought about. I have most human beings haven't thought about their MRI, where do I go? So talk about just, let's start there with incentives. Well, if I said earlier, if, if you're paid to get up, get out of the house, go to an office or, or even work at home, but you get paid to be productive for an employer who asks you to do certain things. And if you do those certain things to the employer's satisfaction, they keep paying you. But if you are making more money, staying at home, not being productive, watching television, ordering off of Amazon. Uh, look, I know you got stuck uh, at home for a while. And if, unfortunately or fortunately, you work for yourself so you can you can remain productive. But a lot of employees were sent home and then paid more. That's the incentive. It's a perverse incentive. Uh, we all have incentives. Uh, we incentivize our children. Uh, if you if you'll eat your vegetables, you can have dessert. And we learn this from an early stage. Uh, uh, incentives drive behavior, and our expectations from our healthcare system is that the the insurance company, in particular, the hospital secondarily, doctors, tertiary, tertiarily, thirdly, uh, are, are all working in our interest when it's simply not true. So looking at the insurance companies, I'm going to get off of cost for a minute. 
Let me get off of cost. Everybody thinks this revolution is all about the cost of healthcare. It's not. Remember my vision, our vision at Next Gen Benefits, the Next Gen Benefits Network, our mastermind group. Our vision is the highest quality healthcare first, accessible and affordable to all Americans. Now, we start with quality because as a friend of mine, Leah Bender, who runs the Leapfrog Group uh, in Washington, they, they actually score hospitals on quality. She has this wonderful saying, there is no good price for bad health care. And you think about that. Look, um, there's a there's a really bad surgeon over at General Hospital that has a really bad infection problem, and they can get your surgery done for, oh, gosh, a third of what the other hospital is going to charge you and the other doctor is going to charge you. You go, no, I don't think so. Right? There's no good price for bad health care. So we got to start with quality. We just came out at the Next Gen Benefits Network with a new a new. A uh, piece, a new white paper on on healthcare quality. It's uh, uh, healthcare out of control. It starts with quality. is is the name of the white paper. Here's the thing: we go through and we list all of these dangers in healthcare. Uh, hospitals that don't do enough open heart surgeries to be able to ensure that you're getting a safe and quality procedure in their hospital because they don't do it often enough. By the way, that's 90% of hospitals in the United States do not do enough open heart surgeries to do them safely, according to the LeapFrog Group. The same, there's 91% of hospitals in the United States don't do enough rectal cancer surgery to do it safely. That's mind-blowing. 90% of the hospitals. You say, well, which ones are those? Well, just ask your insurance company. I'm sure they'll tell you, don't go to that hospital for your open-heart surgery. They don't do, no, they don't do that. And they don't, they don't tell you who the good doctors are. They don't tell you the 2% who are responsible for 39%, blows my mind. 2% of the doctors, Lester, are responsible for 39% of the malpractice suits. Now, I kind of like to know who those doctors are, just in case one's in my neighborhood. This is a little bit like sexual predators. The government tells you when sexual predators are in your neighborhood, living in your neighborhood, the insurance companies know who the bad doctors are. They don't tell you. In fact, quick story, there's a surgeon, a general surgeon out of West Palm Beach, uh, his name is Vasquez. Uh, Harvard educated, went to Edison, uh, uh, Edison Medical College, one of the top 30 medical schools. His, 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 uh, social, uh, grades, his scores on social media are 4.2, 4.3 as a positive score from, from, uh, vitals.com. And a woman named Pacheco needed some surgery on her back. She needed some, uh, vertebrae fused. I did not know this, but but spine surgeons don't do the incision. They just go in and do the the spinal fusion or whatever it is they're doing the spine. So she she retained Doctor Vasquez, Ramon Vasquez. Um, by the way, he's board certified in surgery. Uh, retained him to, to open her up for the spine surgeons, which he did. But when he opened her up, he noticed that there was a very large tumor on her pelvis. So being a good surgeon, he removed the, the tumor. The next morning, Ms. Pacheco wakes up and she has two fused vertebrae and one kidney because it was not a tumor on her pelvis that he removed. It was her kidney. She had what's known as a pelvic kidney. If Dr. Vasquez had looked at her charts, he would know that, but he, he didn't. Now, you say honest mistake. I agree. In the moment, he just got carried away, did what he thought was the right thing. His malpractice insurance paid Ms. Pacheco. I'm sure she got paid well for her for her lost kidney. But here's the coda of the story, the, the, as, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. 
I, I asked a, one of our strategic partners who has access to quality data on doctors and hospitals. I said, could you look up Dr. Ramon Vasquez in West Palm Beach? What's his, what's his score? His quality scores, overall quality score. And she came back and said, Oh, he's a 10. I said, 10 out of 10? No, 10 out of 100. He's a, he's, he scores 10%. And this is on readmissions. This is on infections. This is on, uh, these are on specific, actual, trackable, measurable uh, behaviors and results that, that the doctor uh, has been scored on. I said, well, did this happen afterwards? He, did he get 10 because he took out this woman's kidney by mistake? Oh, no, this, he's been a 10 for years and years. He's been a bad doctor for a while. I said, okay, but let me do so. Let me try something. So I went to Blue Cross of Florida, Florida Blue, went to their website. You grew up with Florida Blue, being a Florida boy. I went to Blue Cross of Florida's website, and I went to their physician's directory, and I looked up Dr. Ramon Vasquez. There he is in in Blue Cross's directory. Of course, he had a red flag by his name, warning Pete. There was no red flag. There was no asterisk. There was no warning or, or notice at all. Why is that? Why do the insurance companies not tell us? Because they can't. By contract, their contract with the doctors and the hospitals in their preferred provider networks, they're not allowed to prefer one doctor or one hospital over another. So they can't tell you who the bad doctors are. But you say, well, gosh, that the doctors and hospitals should be called on that. Although they didn't write the contract, the insurance companies wrote the contracts. So what's the incentive? Well, the incentive for the insurance company is to keep as many doctors on their in their network as possible. You don't do that by calling out another quick story. Walmart went to their PPO network provider and said, we want you to do a favor for us. We've done some research, and we're very concerned about the harmful impact of the bottom 2% of the doctors in any community. We'd like you to remove, using our metrics, but they're proven metrics, would you remove the bottom 2% of the doctors from our network? Absolutely not, the insurance company said. Telling Walmart, no, we can't, we can't do that. By contract, we can't do that. So their incentive is to keep as many doctors and hospitals in their network. Therefore, they are incentivized against us to not share with us what could be life and death information. I have likened it to this lack of transparency. The insurance companies are forcing employees to play Russian roulette with their health. Spin the wheel. Spin the, 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 the cylinder and the gun. Maybe you pick a good doctor off their website. Maybe you pick Dr. Vasquez. Good luck with that. So, so Nelson, so I, I would imagine people right now are wanting to grab the popcorn, right? Because you're a good storyteller, right? So, so the reality of this, but they've never heard this before. And obviously that you and I work in this swimming against the stream type of, uh, of, of market. We, we hear this and we see this every day, but it's hard to wrap your brain around what do I do? Like, what are people, so knowing what you're saying right there is fact, and I'm going to say that it is fact that the contracts that most of the people that will be listening to this preclude their insurance company from telling you good hospital A, bad hospital B, good surgeon A, good surgeon B. That is absolutely fact. So I don't, I don't, I don't, that's not mincing words. That is not throwing stones. That is factual information. Let's solve that or let's uh, provide the solution. What does an employer who hears that and says, well, wait a second. I wouldn't do business with the bottom two suppliers of whatever it is I do for a living. I wouldn't have them servicing my business and my clients. So let's liken it to that. What does a good employer 
who is trying to fix that issue right there, what do they do to structure their health benefits to, 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 to combat that fact? Step one, disintermediate the insurance company. Disintermediate. It's a $10 business school word. They probably didn't teach that in, in insurance school. And I, I can assure you they did not teach that at the University of Tennessee when I was a history major. That came later. Disintermediate means simply to get rid of the middleman, cut, cut out the middleman. Until an employer controls their own health plan and can make decisions on how the health care that is purchased is managed, you can't do that with the insurance company running the plan because by default, you don't control the plan the insurance company does. So you have to get control of the plan as the employer. Once you have the insurance company out of the way and it is now on the CEO and the CFO, but the beautiful thing is, of course, it's not. They don't, they don't, they don't run the rest of their company. They have people to run the rest of their company to do the activities and duties that have to be done to make the, the business run. In this case, a good benefits advisor, what we call a next-gen benefits advisor, who is committed to this transparency and committed to these properly aligned incentives, they will then provide services and mechanisms that help guide the employees away from these dangerous doctors and unsafe hospitals and, and incredibly expensive hospitals to high quality, low cost or lower cost, better value facilities and surgeons. But that only happens once the insurance company is out of the picture, because then with with the insurance coming out of the picture, you now as an executive have control, which right now you have no control over your health care. The insurance company will tell you, oh, there is, it's not possible to control healthcare. Well, yes, it is. The insurance company chooses not to do it because they're incentivized perversely. But an employer has the opportunity to start managing the supply chain of healthcare, which is another business school concept. It's another uh, core business function to, to manage the supply chain of healthcare. Um, no company that buys computers for their employees simply grabs one second pull out a uh, for, for, pull for out. the audience that can't see him he is grabbing his american express or his first tennessee check card here yes. uh and you 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 they give the employee the riskiest corporate credit card in america the insurance card and they say, um, go out and get any health care you want at any time. But but what they don't do when it's time for new computers for their employees, they don't hand the employees a corporate credit card and say, go out and get yourself a computer. And, and I've, I've actually asked CEOs and CFOs when I've spoken to them. Actually, Leslie, you've been there when I've done this. Uh, we were in Lexington together. I remember specifically one time. Because uh, I remember I asked this question of the CEOs and CFOs in the audience. Who here buys computers? They all raise their hand. So when it's time for new computers, do you give a corporate credit card to an employee and send them out to get their computer? They go, no, I'd be crazy. Why would that be crazy? Because they don't know what computer to get. They don't know how much they should pay. They don't know where to get the best price. They don't know how to negotiate. They don't, they're not able to leverage the volume. They're just buying one computer. We buy 200 computers and we know the type of computers we need for each job. Of course, you don't send your employees out with a corporate credit card to get a computer. Why do you do the same for an open heart surgery? Why do you send them out with a corporate credit card to get a, an open heart surgery with no input from you, the employer, whose credit card it is, whose money is being spent? So all we're doing, Lester, is applying standard business practices. You can call it a supply chain manager. You can call it purchasing. 
uh, you can call it procurement. Every company does it with every part of their business, except healthcare. We're saying, why aren't you doing it for healthcare? Because healthcare is your second or third largest line item in your budget. It's your second or third largest operating cost, and you completely ignore it. Well, we let the insurance company manage that for us. How's that working for you? Healthcare costs have gone up every year since 1999 that I, we're tracking. And they've, 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 since 1999, they have tripled, tripled. Well, if the insurance company is working to control the cost of healthcare, they are bad at this job. So, so no, so, and, and I know where you were going, right? They're not bad. They're just improperly incentivized, right? But, but for that employer that was listening to that, I think they would, they would click in their mind the economic play behind that. Okay, you got me. From the fiscal responsibility standpoint, that made a lot of sense. But what I don't think most people that I would love for you to opine on that they don't realize that that fiscal responsibility could lead to not only lower cost, but better health care. And, and then those two things actually equal that the employees like their plans more. So walk us through, connect those other dots because, you know, to, to the point of, hey, I could save money on staying at the hotel and I could stay at the cockroach motel down the street. But, you know, I want to stay at the nicer hotels or I want to buy the nicer car. or I want to drive the Maserati, whatever it is. And in all those scenarios, better equals more expensive. But I think we need to wrap it up for that employer to understand that that fiscal responsibility actually produces better outcomes and outcomes being the whole genesis of the word outcome. You, you make a great point and it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because if I tell you, uh, we're going to, we're going to give you a, a, a car. We're going to, we're going to let you drive a car. Well, we're going to pay for a car here at, at uh, our company, Lester, and you're going to get to drive a company car and your budget is uh, $80,000 for that company car because you're a high-level executive and we really appreciate your work and your your service. And we want to keep you, we want to keep you happy. $80,000 car and you're thinking, wow, I can get a pretty nice car for $80,000, right? A nice Mercedes, not the best Mercedes, but a nice Mercedes or a nice Audi or a BMW or a Tesla. $80,000 is a lot of money spent on a car. Oh, hey, uh, Lester, uh, about that car, you haven't bought it yet, have you? No, good. Um, yeah, we we've had to pull the budget back to fifty thousand. Now, what you're thinking is, I'm getting a lesser car because I'm I've got less money to spend. That that's a logical and in this case a very real uh, uh, consequence of, of lowering the budget in healthcare. The dirty little secret is that the lowest cost facilities, and you know this, the lowest cost facilities are almost always the best facilities. They, the reason they do total knee replacements for 40, 50% less than their competition is they do a lot of them. And that frequency makes them better at it. It also means they buy their materials, their supplies in bulk. It means their nursing staff in the OR operates like a machine because they do this two, three, four days a week, all day long. And so they don't make mistakes. They don't leave forceps in the patient, right? They don't make mistakes that they then have to go, oh, yeah, we're like a like a, a problem with the auto. We're going to have to recall you back to the hospital and we're going to put you under again and fix the problem we didn't do right in the first place. Right. So the best care comes from the lowest price facilities. Now, you and I don't know the prices. If we're a consumer, you and I do know the prices because we've got access to that data. The same data, by the way, the insurance company has access to. Quality and cost in healthcare do not have a direct relationship. They have an inverse relationship. You want more quality? You, you're going to have to spend less 
for that quality, for that high quality, not more. The expensive hospitals want the big fountains and the piano player in the lobby and all the marble and the big marketing budget isn't going to give you the best care in most cases. So understanding that you don't have to spend more to get better health care. You get the best health care, you're going to spend less. And we don't we don't even start with cost, do we? We start with quality. So I started with this conversation. The highest quality health care, accessible and available and affordable to all Americans. So an employer has to understand that you start with the quality of health care because there is no good price for bad health care. So, Nelson, so obviously this is my passion in life. So I'm tracking with you. So the next the next thing that we need to connect, and I want to end here because I really think this is the triple win here, right? Is that employee, that member, you know, your child, your husband, your wife, you would always logically say, yes, I want to go access the best healthcare. I would love to pay a lesser cost of that. But what I always tell people is the catch here is you can't do something about something that has already happened. So walk me through the word advocacy or medical management, however technical we want to get. But let's go with the word advocacy. And intuitively, I think an employer says, well, wait a second. I've designed my health plan because my advisor and the insurance company has always taught me we don't want to have any friction. We don't want to have employees have to think twice about this. But if you just told me I could get better health care for a cheaper cost, and I don't intuitively know this because I'm a plumber, I'm an AC company, I'm a whatever. Talk to me about this word advocacy and relate it to the satisfaction at the end, because I see the testimonials every day that comes out of the advocates and they make the hair on your arm stand up of how great it is. But the common person out there listening to this has never heard this story. Advocacy, care coordinator, concierge, nurse advocate, all the same thing. Yes, for someone with access to the quality metrics of, of health care, the, the quality scores of the doctors, the quality scores of the hospitals and the surgery centers, and even e- equally as important, I don't say more important, equally important, the evidence-based clinical information do you need the, the doctor is recommending Lester that that you get this particular procedure? It's it uses robotics for surgery, and your surgeon's very compelling. It tells you oh, this is what you need. This is the best way to do it. It may not be. In fact, quite often the doctor is recommending something that is not justified by by clinical evidence. So. A care coordinator or an advocate or, or a, um, a concierge, a healthcare concierge is someone who has access to this quality data and this evidence based clinical data to help you make a better decision about your healthcare. You know, uh, nobody wants surgery they don't need. They may think they do, but they really don't. Cutting into your body is traumatic on your body. And if you can avoid it, you want to avoid it. From a cost standpoint, the the least expensive claim is the one that never happens. But the most expensive claim is the one that happens that shouldn't happen. And it's not just expensive in terms of dollars. It's expensive to the, can you imagine, Lester, getting your knee replaced with an artificial, you know, an artificial knee And you don't need it. It was just some physical therapy that is all you needed. So the care advocate or the the concierge walks you through this process 
double checks the doctor, gets a second opinion, an expert third party opinion from another physician, looks at the quality scores of the physicians that you may be working with, or if you need to be guided to one, finding the highest, highest quality physician, and then making sure that that surgeon or doctor takes you to a high quality value-based hospital, not one that's going to charge you three, four, five hundred times cost. No business makes that kind of profit, maybe maybe software. But most businesses do not operate on a 300% profit margin. Hospitals do when it comes to commercial insurance charges, the, the claims that they make on commercial insurance. Can you imagine, can you imagine, Lester, the procurement officer for a company, it's a manufacturing company, and they buy ball bearings by the millions because the machines that they make, the equipment they make, use a lot of ball bearings. And he doesn't check the tolerance on those ball bearings. They're supposed to be perfectly round. That's what ball bearings are, perfectly round spheres, because that, that, that eliminates friction or as much friction as possible. What if he doesn't check the tolerances on those? They're not perfectly round. But they're going to go in machinery that is going to fail because the ball bearings weren't checked for quality. This is why companies all have quality assurance. For ball bearings, for God's sakes. And yet we send our employees out to get their bodies cut open or, or in, in subjected to chemicals, chemo, or radiation without double checking and, and, and enforcing some high level of quality assurance that that treatment is correct, that the practitioners are the right ones, they're high quality, and that it's done properly and it's not overpriced. Imagine. Imagine who it was that didn't check the quality of the O-rings on the space shuttle. Why aren't we just that careful with the health care that our employees get? Care advocates are that play that role, that procurement role or that supply chain management role to make sure that the parts are right, the parts are precise, the treatment is correct, the, the providers are quality, and that the cost is reasonable. They're the essential, I, I call medical management the central nervous system of a next-gen health plan. And if I'm an employee, and I am, I work for myself, but I'm an employee of our company, don't I want me and my family and my employees, but don't I want me to, to have somebody walking me through this very confusing and complex system? That's what a care advocate, concierge does. It's why it's so important. They are the quality control on the health care that your employees get. So now uh, that was just a, a, a perfect way to wrap this up because again, I think it hits the three spheres, right? Uh, we, we've got the cost, we've got the quality, but in order to get to understand that those two things are variable, most people have never thought the cost and quality of healthcare in one given geography, maybe from block to block is hugely different and that tie it around with a nice red bow is that advocacy. And more often than not, an employer, a normal insurance advisor out there says, well, your employees aren't going to like that. That's a, that's a lot for them to think about. But the reality of it is we've been doing without it. And to your point, how has that worked out for us? And so I, I truly appreciate what I'd love for you to do is, is leave us with one thing. Yeah, I, I see the boom thing right there. Leave us with your boom. What's the, what's the number one thing? I think people have heard a lot that they're probably either grabbing popcorn for 
maybe a Pepsi AC because they got heartburn after listening to this. Whatever it is, what's the number one thing a CEO, a CFO, an HR person, and somebody who is looking at this saying, is my health plan like this? Or can I reach the mountaintop? What's the one thing that you would advise somebody to leave this podcast with? I'm going to go in a different direction than, than you may be wanting me to go in, but I think it gets the same, has the same effect. What CEO, CFO, or HR director, or CHRO, or VP of HR wouldn't love to be able to offer their employees and their prospective employees with free health care? None that I would know of. Insurance premiums have to be paid, so the employee pays their premiums every month, but if they follow the guidance of the of the care advocate, their deductible is waived, their coinsurance is waived, there's no balance bill because the uh, uh, employer is paying everything. How can they afford to do that? Because the employee, by following the guidance and going to the high quality, high value surgeon, doctor, facility, the employee is the one who's saving the employer money. They're saving the health plan money by following the directions of the advocate. And in return, some of those savings go back to the employee in the form of no deductible, zero deductible, zero coinsurance. Their health care is free. You talk about happy employees, high morale, high productivity. You talk about it making it easy to hire high quality employees. How many of your competitors are offering free health care? So this is doing well by doing good. And if, if an employer is willing to be courageous and step up and make the change, it's not easy. Change is never easy. You can't, we don't want to sugarcoat it, Lester. We know it's challenging in an organization to change the way anything is done. But the payoff from a health of employees, morale of employees, productivity of employees, ease of hiring high quality new employees and keeping the ones you have and saving substantial dollars that go back on your balance sheet as free cash flow or increased EBITDA. This is a win, 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 win for the organization from the C-suite down to the janitor in the organization. But it does take some courage, the willingness to say, I'll embrace the change, and we have to share with our employees the exciting news that your health care can be free, but also the fact that we're changing the way we do it because the old system didn't make sure that you had good health quality health care, and it certainly wasn't affordable. So... You, you just ended it with the cherry on top for me because, you know, I asked you your why in the beginning, but my why is associated with bankruptcy because of healthcare costs. And that's what my parents had to do when I was 17 years old. And under the plans that you and I design every day, your organization design every day, that would have never happened. Now, I'm grateful for the experiences because that's why I'm running this podcast to make sure that nobody else has to go through it. But it was such a nice way to turn that back into the the why behind this for me. And, and so thank you for ending it that way. I am sure, 100% sure, there's an employer out there that says, I want to get a hold of this guy to learn more. There's an advisor out there that's like, man, I don't get that excited about talking about health benefits. Uh, where does somebody keep up with, with you, the Next Gen Benefits Network? Uh, where can somebody catch up with you? Well, one place to go is, is the website for the network, which is nextgen, N-E-X-T-G-E-N, benefits.network, nextgenbenefits.network. Uh, and we're on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. 
Nelson Griswold to come come uh, tell me you want to connect and and I'd be delighted to connect and we can have a conversation there. So there there are a lot of ways to to get involved with us. I want to say this though, Les, before I sign off, and and I'm going to take this time because you're likely to cut me off in a second. Uh, I want to applaud you and and let everybody who's listening, who obviously knows something about you enough to get them to come and and listen or, or watch your podcast. Lester, the work Lester's doing as someone who came out of this industry at the pinnacle of the status quo and has become a rebel. Uh, and has joined the revolution and has infused us with uh, more energy and, and more knowledge. What he brings as an, uh, as a resource to this movement because of his experience with one of the big national, one of the biggest national houses uh, is invaluable and his heart and his passion. I just want to applaud you for that and thank you for that because uh, it, it's, it's a gift to the movement, to our revolution. And, and I just, I just want to encourage you keep it up and keep bringing it because we need it. And I know it, I know it drives you anyway. It, it, it does. And, and I could only hope that mom and dad are up in heaven smiling. Cause that's the day. That's the reason I do it. So, well, Nelson, thank you. I, I, I knew this one was going to be my long one. I said, I wanted to go 20, 25 minutes where we're approaching 50 uh, but it seemed like it was four minutes and I, I could go another hour with you. Thank you so much for our listeners. Thanks for tuning in again. Hit that subscribe button and keep following us on impacthealthcare.fm where we celebrate the people like Nelson, the strategies, the people that are impacting health benefits. Nelson, thanks so much, buddy. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Lester. You've been listening to Impact Healthcare, people and strategies that are disrupting the health benefits industry with Lester Morales. Remember, the journey to getting 20% savings on your healthcare benefits starts with total transparency. Visit impacthealthcare.fm backslash journey to access leading industry case studies, compelling member stories, and to check out all of our podcast episodes. That's impacthealthcare.fm backslash journey. Remember to subscribe to the Impact Healthcare podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.